Welcome to the North Dallas Suburban Alumni Chapter's Candid Conversation with the Candidates podcast. Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated is a 501c7 nonprofit organization. All candidates, Republicans, Democrats, or Independents running for the 32nd Texas Congressional District were invited to participate in our podcast series. The sorority is nonpartisan and does not endorse candidates. Today's conversation is with Mr. Colin Allred, our current Texas 32nd Congressional Representative, who is seeking re-election. Hello, Mr. Allred. Hello. Thanks for having me. As mentioned, uh, we'll go through a series of couple of questions. Can you, to get started, how has your experience shaped you for this role? Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, before coming to Congress, I was a voting rights lawyer and, and worked, in fact, with some uh, Deltas uh, in that role. Uh, and I, I think I've taken sort of an unusual path. Of, uh, there's not a whole lot of folks who have played the NFL and gone to law school and uh, gotten in voting rights and then worked in uh, President Obama's administration. Uh, but I think that's also exposed me uh, to a number of uh, different experiences and a number uh, of, of different uh, scenarios and that have allowed me, I think, to be an effective legislator but also my you know, life experiences. One, somebody raised by a single mother who was a Dallas public school teacher uh, here in our community, uh, graduated from Hillcrest High School, uh, has also taught me some life lessons that I think uh, allow me to look at every issue uh, through the prism of somebody who understands the role that community can play uh, and that when we are able to give folks a chance, particularly young folks, uh, that we never know, you know where they may end up. So. I feel like my professional and personal experience has uh, hopefully placed me in good stead, uh, but certainly I know that there's always more that I can do and more that I can learn. Well, that's very interesting. For our past few election cycles, we've heard concerns regarding um, the integrity of the voting machines and the process. As a congressman, how are you able to work with the local election boards to ensure that the constituents feel that their vote is secure? Well, I think that I come at it from a little different perspective. Having uh, done voting rights work in Texas and across the country, uh, I can promise folks that our elections are very secure. Uh, and that's also not just my opinion. That's also uh, the opinion, for example, of the uh, Republican Secretary of State of Texas who oversaw the last election who said that it was a, quote, safe and secure election. But I'm more concerned uh, generally with uh, efforts uh, to suppress or dilute or challenge uh, the votes of uh, qualified uh, voters. And that's what I've seen, unfortunately, too often in Texas, uh, is uh, a series of laws to make it hard to register to vote, a hard cast your ballot, uh, and then uh, even after your ballot is cast, uh, to dilute your vote through uh, gerrymandering. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have uh, one of the lowest voter turnouts in the country is that Texas is among, if not the, uh, most difficult state uh, to vote in. In the last legislative session, uh, the Texas legislature passed a bill to dramatically change uh, the vote-by-mail laws. And this is something that I'm, I'm sure uh, the Deltas are working on, but I hope that we can all work on helping our seniors in particular, comply with the new vote-by-mail laws because we have a 12.5% uh, rejection rate of mail-in ballots in the primary election. 
uh, this year. That's versus the 1% rejection rate that we had before that law passed in the last election. Uh, and it's changed uh, the way folks, uh, I think, can feel confident about when they out their mail ballot. So we have to fight that. We have to try and make sure uh, uh, anyone who wants to vote by mail is able to do so, is eligible. Uh, but also help our, our folks who are eligible deal with uh, the voter ID laws and, and various other components of voting here in Texas that are sometimes more difficult than other states. You mentioned that you are a son of a Texas school teacher. Teachers seem to be leaving the classroom at high rates. How do we support our future and current teachers so that we have the best in our classroom for our children? Teaching is an extremely difficult job, and um, it's a job that um, we don't pay the folks who do it enough, and we also don't respect uh, them enough. And I I come from a long line of teachers. Uh, My mom taught in DISD and Texas public schools for 27 years. Uh, My aunt, her sister, was also a teacher. Um, And I I really believe that teachers are some of the most important people uh, in all of our lives. We can all think back, I think, to that teacher uh, in a class that we took in high school or maybe college or middle school uh, who made that subject come alive for us, who made us interested maybe in a topic that we didn't think we would be interested in. We can all remember our favorite teacher. And those teachers have a huge impact on, the, on our lives. I'm still friends with some of the teachers who helped me uh, here in Dallas. Uh, but it is becoming a more difficult profession uh, for reasons that I really never thought we'd have to deal with. Uh, folks you know, claiming that teachers are teaching things and they're not teaching uh, in the classroom, you know, saying that they're teaching you know, critical race theory when that's not being taught. Or saying that they're trying to uh, you know, be a part of the culture wars of the moment, you know, around LGBTQ rights or, or whatever it may be, when most teachers are just trying their best to navigate, you know, a, you know, a changing world, or even trying to tell them that they can't teach our real history, uh, that we have to teach some sort of um, imaginary history uh, in which everything in the United States has always been fine and, and we've, we have no work to do. And I think that has made it so that many teachers feel that uh, they are under attack. Uh, my mom, I can tell you, is a retired teacher, also can have seen that the teacher retirement system is, does not take care of retired teachers, and, and they often struggle financially when they retire from teaching. And so it's not making it into a very attractive job, even though it should be one of the most important jobs uh, in our community. I think some of our local school districts have done a good job trying to increase pay and trying to incentivize folks going into teaching. But at the federal and state level, we need to do a lot more uh, to make it easier to become a teacher, uh, to retain teachers who are in the profession, uh, so that they'll keep teaching because we lose so many teachers in the early years, and to take care of them when they retire from teaching so they can retire with dignity. That, I think, will solve our issues around the shortages of teachers. And other states have done this before um, and have countered their shortages uh, by incentivizing and supporting uh, you know, folks coming into the profession, and that's what we have to do here. Texas rates as 42nd overall in the healthcare system management. What can be done to improve this, and what will you focus on if reelected? Well, unfortunately, we have the highest uninsured rate in the country uh, in Texas. Uh, and in, in Dallas County, for example, we have over 20% of our 
uh, folks who don't have health insurance. And so a, a large part of that is because our state has refused to expand Medicaid. Over a million Texans would immediately uh, be covered if the state uh, would expand Medicaid. And I've been a part of several efforts at the federal level to pass legislation to incentivize the states like Texas who have not expanded Medicaid to go ahead and do that. Uh, that would, in many cases, disproportionately impact our communities of color uh, who often fall into sort of the, uh, the gap that Medicaid expansion is trying to cover. Uh, but we also have to continue to control the costs. And I'm really proud of the work that we did uh, in the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, building on the American Rescue Plan to try and control costs for folks. And so how are we doing that? Well, if you're on Medicare, we are capping your uh, yearly costs for prescription drugs at $2,000 out of pocket. So you will not pay any more than $2,000 out of pocket because of the Inflation Reduction Act during a couple of years. We're capping your monthly insulin cost at $35 a month. Uh, so for folks on Medicare, your insulin will cost only $35 a month. Uh, we're also making most vaccines for folks on Medicare free. I'd love to see us uh, extend that uh, into uh, the, the private market. Uh, but unfortunately, particularly in the $35 insulin costs, uh, we were not able to have enough votes in the Senate from our Republican colleagues to get that done. In the Affordable Care Act, uh, as some people call Obamacare, uh, we also uh, extended the subsidies uh, that we created in the American Rescue Plan to make sure uh, that the Affordable Care Act is much more affordable for folks who are in the individual market. Uh, and so if you're one of the 1.8 million uh, Texans uh, who have gained coverage in at healthcare.gov or, or in the individual market, uh, your average savings are about $560, $560 per family uh, because of our legislation. And so uh, trying to deal with the cost of, of health care is extremely important. Uh, we also have given uh, Medicare for the first time uh, the ability to negotiate prescription drug prices for certain drugs, the drugs that are the most expensive and that we've not been able to control the cost of. That applies in Medicare, but it will also and most likely help lower costs in the private market as well for all of us. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I'm trying to expand coverage and lower costs. And that, to me, is one of the most important things we have to do. We have to also recognize that we have uh, a maternal and infant mortality crisis uh, in this country, and particularly in the state of Texas, particularly bad among black women in terms of our maternal mortality rate. And there are a lot of things that go into that. It's not just access to care. It's often access to care uh, that, uh, you know, is both uh, you know, culturally sensitive, but also that listens and uh, even uh, you know, believes, uh, you know, warning signs and other things uh, that you know, folks are trying to express. And so I want to see us continue to expand uh, the diversity in the medical pr profession, make sure that we have enough providers, make sure we have providers who are able to serve uh, in underserved communities. Uh, and until we're able to address that, uh, even if we are able to expand coverage and lower costs across the board, we'll still see some disparities. We all hurt and are concerned over the high violence incident of violence in our schools. Obviously, Uvalde is at forefront of our minds. What measures can you take as a legislator to promote common sense gun laws? And what else do you say to people who are opposed to raising the minimum purchase age? Um, 
Well, this is one of the most heartbreaking things um, to be in office uh, when these you know, uh, mass shootings occur, especially when school shootings occur. I'm also a father. I've got two young boys who I drop off uh, at their school uh, most days when I'm in town. And, you know, when you release your kids into someone else's custody, uh, you know, as President Obama said, it's like your heart is outside of your chest. You just hope that they'll have a great day. You worry even when they come home with a skinned knee or, or with a you know, maybe a busted lip because they fell on the playground, much less as somebody who should not have access to a weapon of war coming into their school and murdering 18 of them as happened in Uvalde. And, you know, it is, doesn't make, doesn't make any sense uh, that you cannot buy a beer in the state of Texas if you're 18 or 19 years old or 20 years old, but you can buy uh, two AR-15s thousands of rounds of ammunition uh, as the, the shooter uh, in, in Uvalde did. So we absolutely should raise the age on accessing uh, these assault-style rifles. I also am a co-sponsored legislation that says that we should not be selling uh, these assault-style rifles. But I do want to say that it's, it is important that for the first time in 30 years, we did pass a gun violence prevention bill in the Congress. Uh, it wasn't everything uh, that I would want to see passed, but it was a really important step. And it was something uh, that had not been done, as I said, in 30 years. And we really needed to show uh, that we were able to, to do something. It had a lot of money in it uh, for mental health. Uh, it had closed some important loopholes, um, particularly the boyfriend uh, loophole that allowed uh, domestic violence, uh, folks who have been convicted of domestic violence or stalking or things like that to get access uh, to, uh, you know, guns. So oftentimes we're seeing a, a baseline of either some history of domestic violence or violence towards women as an indicator of someone who's going to become violent, either as a mass shooter or uh, involved in gun violence. Uh, and, and so it had some important um, components. And I'm glad that for the first time in 30 years we're able to do something. I think we have to do more, though. What else would you like the constituents of the Texas 32nd Congressional District to know? Well, I think that the most important issue facing us uh, is protecting our democracy. I know that uh, we're in a moment uh, in which inflation is high and, and we need to lower, continue to lower costs uh, and deal with the really global trends uh, that have caused uh, this inflation coming out of the pandemic. Uh, there are so many things that the pandemic changed about not just our economy, uh, but economies all around the world, and we have to address that. But we will find our way out of this. On protecting our democracy, if we're not able to do that, uh, then there may be uh, you know, no way back. And we're seeing a level of extremism in our politics that I think you know, for us is, is really new. Uh, and whether that's... Uh, extremists trying to take away uh, a woman's right to choose uh, in terms of her access to an abortion and her constitutional rights to that, uh, with an activist Supreme Court doing that, or extremists trying to take away uh, the right to vote, or trying to overturn an election after it happened. You know, I was on the House floor on January 6th when uh, the you know, rioters and, and thugs uh, that President Trump had summoned there 
to try and overturn an election nearly broke into the Capitol, nearly was successful uh, in uh, you know, trying to stop you know, the counting of the Electoral College votes. They were not successful that day, but we've seen the efforts of that mob turned into legislative efforts in states around the country, including in our state. And we've seen election deniers running for office around the country, folks who will not admit or accept the results of the last election, including in my race with my opponent. Uh, and these folks should not be in positions of public trust because, you know, when it comes to elections, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, but we have to understand that as Americans, we accept the results of our election because everything uh, that we're talking about, whether it's, you know, our schools, uh, whether it's our economy, uh, whether it's health care, it's all based on uh, us being able to, you know, conduct you know, elections in which, yes, they're hard fought. When, when they're over, we try to come together as Americans uh, and, and help each other and understand that as my uh, colleague and, and hero, John Lewis, used to say, we might have come here on, on different ships, but we're all in the same boat now. Uh, we're all Americans. And part of that is, is accepting and respecting our democracy. And so I hope that in this election, not only in my race, but in every other race, folks will consider uh, who will protect your democracy, who will protect your ability uh, to vote and your ability to engage in a democracy uh, at every level of government, and I hope you'll support them. Well, thank you, Mr. Allred, for this very insightful conversation. Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated is a 501c7 nonprofit organization. All candidates, Republicans, Democrats, or independents running for the 32nd Texas Congressional District were invited to participate in our podcast series. Please continue to follow the North Dallas Suburban Alumni Chapter's social media pages for the next broadcast of the Candid Conversations with the Candidates. This is Deborah Curry, Social Action Chair of North Dallas Suburban Alumni Chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, wishing you all a great day. Thank you.